emotionally intelligent behaviors, you're not running your communication based on how you want it. You're running your communication based on how this person needs it, and then you're getting feedback. So that's really what the difference is between remote leadership, being even more intentional, intentional and getting the feedback of how you're creating those relationships. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We have an exciting guest today. Diana Lowe is with us from Blue Light Leadership. And the title today is Emotional Intelligence and Leadership in Today's Workforce Realities. We all know the workforce has been shifting and has gone through a dramatic shift over the last 18 months. We've had the time of the COVID pandemic, people working remotely. We're now moving towards more hybrid workforces. Just this past April, we had the great resignation. Diana is here to talk about leadership, the workforce realities, but most importantly, this foundation of emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. What does it really mean? What does it not mean? She's gonna share with you very practical ways you can transform and transition. Let me start that over. She's going to talk to us today about specific tangible ways you can transform your leadership and your impact through the power of emotional intelligence, especially focused on that leadership with remote workers. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here for another episode. We have a really exciting guest. I mean, we've already had a conversation offline. (laughs) I guarantee you this is going to be interesting. We've got (laughs) Diana Lowe with us, who's coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona, her pretty new home. And she's an executive coach. Her company is called Blue Light Leadership. I'm sure we'll find out more about that. And she helps leaders develop their emotional intelligence and communication skills to inspire their teams to higher performance solve problems, be more creative, positively impact the bottom line. And we've had so many guests talking about EI. I'm always looking forward to one of those conversations. I know we're going to pull a lot of streads and go into different nooks and crannies of this, but it's all about positive psychology. And as you'll hear soon, Diana's approach is soul. I'm going to call it integrated and holistic. It's not about this or that. It's how does this all fit together, work together, and even flow together to help leaders be more impactful with their teams and their organizations. So welcome, Diana. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So Diana, give us a little bit of the Diana Lowe story. Oh, the Diana Lowe story. It's good. It starts in a small town (laughs) called Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Do you have a little sled named Rosebud? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means, but I feel like I should. Uh, I just aged aged you. (laughs) You just aged me. Ouch. Well, that was before my time too, Jeff. (laughs) I I aged myself. So, but it's, you know, it's a good story. So I started in uh, finance in P- Pittsburgh. And then I moved, they liked me a lot. And I moved to 
London, to the city of London to work in the city in finance in London, which was an amazing opportunity. Mm, wow. It robbed me of my heart and soul, which oh. then gave me <laughs> an opportunity to really work on myself and really figure out like what I wanted for my life. And when I was in London, I started a company uh, called Switched On Development, which helped leaders in tech, which is kind of where I'm at right now, again, back in the space, which is exciting. Um, it helped them, you know, network, do public speaking and mm. do the sort of people side of uh, business. So then uh, we moved back to the States and I worked for a couple of big companies here. And then here I am today, really focusing on the development of remote leaders. So that's a blue light is dedicated to helping remote leaders engage their emotional intelligent behaviors. Hmm. Great. So you got to answer the question for us, Diana, where did blue light come from? Okay. So this is how deep do we want to go today? As deep as you want. Okay. <laughs> as deep so, as you can do in a minute or less. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So there's two reasons for blue light. So number one, blue light is the blue light we sit in front of every day. As remote leaders, we sit in front of screens, uh, we sit point. in front of our phones, we have our tablets. So we're, we have this blue light on us. So the, the company is really dedicated to the remote leaders and even hybrid leaders now. So that's like the one essence of blue light. But then if we go a little bit deeper, uh, blue light actually comes, it's a Buddhist term. So I'm an active Buddhist. I'm, a, I'm sure that's going to come out in some way or another. Mm -hmm. But in Buddhism, to have a blue deeper than indigo, it's a written passage um, by Nichiren. And he's talking about really a mentor-disciple relationship for the disciple to supersede the mentor. Mm -hmm. And that blue is the human revolution within ourselves, which is kind of what EI is. It's that changing of our hearts and our minds so we can do better and be better. And then the light is how we illuminate that in society. Awesome. Wonderful. Now you said you use the term EI. So I always have to pull out any, any kind of acronyms that we use. So what is EI? Yeah. So emotional intelligence. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It was a little mm -hmm. jargony. So before we <laughs> dive into the emotional intelligence, I want to focus for a few minutes on the remote concept, remote hybrid mm. We have had a lot of conversations about it, and I'm seeing this is the conversation of the day. Uh, what do we do with remote workers? There's a lot of turmoil, I believe, right now among the workforce on this. A lot of rebelling going on. So give us your take on the state of remote slash hybrid work today, and especially in the context of leadership. Oh, that's good. How many minutes do I have? <laughs> So, well, give so, you leeway. It's a, it's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. So depends on who you are, depends on what you're doing. And leadership, I think we think of at, in a paradigm that is from the past. And leadership is now changing. It's, it's dynamic. Yes. It's changing. So the past paradigms that we thought about a leader in a company, in an organization where we're physically where we physically are mm -hmm. and people who need to show up because they need the money, they need to work. Um, we're shifting from that paradigm. And a lot of people are, they don't know what it is. They don't know how to feel it out where remote leadership is here to stay. We've, we've had it for a while. We've had it for at least as long as there have been developers. So at least like what, what 20 years, maybe a little more and not 
people probably don't want to hear this. My thought is that this is not the first pandemic we will go through in the history of our world. So remote leadership is here to say, and I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out like, well, what makes sense? But as people, we are used to the water cooler talk because that's the paradigm of the old. So we're used to going to a desk or an office and having that relationship. So now we're learning new ways of connecting and being. And I don't believe that you need to necessarily be somewhere and meet with somebody to have that influence on them. So it, there's benefits to it, of course, mm -hmm. and we need the connectivity because we're human. Right. But I don't think that's the only way to, to lead. So did I answer sure. that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so let me add a, add a couple other bits because I'm curious about your take on this. A couple of significant pieces of data right now. Uh, in April, 4 million Americans quit their jobs voluntarily, the mm -hmm. largest number ever, which makes me wonder, what's that about? <laughs> and, I'm seeing I'm it. Seeing, and I've seen a lot of numbers saying that 35 to 40% of the workforce in the U.S. expect and plan to get a new job, a different job by the end of this year. You've got a huge number of people, percentage-wise, looking to transition. you got people quitting. So mm -hmm. what's your take on that, especially how is that impacting the workforce issues we're talking about? I'm seeing this, like, I think they call it the great resignation. Like, yep. you know, <laughs> and so I'm seeing this with a lot of clients. I'm hearing this from the leaders that I work with. And the difficulty with that is that now that people have had the freedom. Of, so let's just say it. The American society, a Western society does not allow for uh, women or parents to really parent and succeed. Like you either have to give everything yep. to the company or you have to get a nanny or somebody. And I see that as even myself, because I have two small kids, people work from home. And honestly, at the end of the day, family comes first. So if they're not, if they're going to make you do, uh, one leader was telling me in Seattle, she had a 10 mile drive that took an hour and a half in Seattle. And she was like, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that anymore because I've done a great job and they're not acknowledging that I can do my job from home. Wow. So we what have a lack the of leadership and we have people making decisions of the pre paradigm, pre COVID paradigm mindset that people need to be in this building. We've invested in this building like Google. Some cost. The, yeah. So we have a cost there. Um, I was told the other day that uh, from a Google leader that he was like, you know, we have a beautiful campus and 40 restaurants. And I just moved to Phoenix to be closer to family so that they could take care of my kids. So I think we're going through a great upheaval. And that's why people they're they're tired. They're burned out. They've had to deal with their kids like 24 seven. So that's a that's a lot. And so I'm saying have that. smaller kids right now. All of my friends who have small kids. So my kids are five and under. Wow. And all of my kids, they've had to work, stay with their kids during the day and practically work, do their work at night. Yeah. Find a little time to sleep and wake up and do it over again. Cause you can't tell a toddler, Hey, don't, don't bother right. me. And imagine single, single parents. Wow. Single parents. They, people have had to make great accommodations so that they can make their life work. And then yep. we see employers not taking that into consideration. That's just idiotic. 
it's well, but there's but there's another challenge here because it, yeah. it, it, to say it's idiotic assumes that this is an easy decision. It's not because you've got imagine that every, your your employee f- workforce let's carve them into ten different groups. They all want ten different things. What do you do sure. with them? Do they all get their own special treatment? That sounds like a good idea, but how does that actually work? And I mean, I think the challenge, and you said this, Diana, you said there's a paradigm shift. Mm. What I think is there's a, there needs to be one. I'm not sure all the leaders have made it. No. Is the, ever, the, what's in front of them has changed. And I think for me, part of the paradigm shift is to start recognizing that everything before, a lot of that needs to be thrown out the window. Because if you try and take what you did before and, um, and manipulate it, you, you, you almost got to throw out the model and say, okay, we're going to start from scratch. Right. How do we do this? And what makes sense for our people, for the organization, for our customers and clients? And if you're thinking about that, you're, you're really saying, okay, if I were to start over from right now, how would I build this thing? Into discount that people could work from home at this point? they're going to be missing out on probably the best workers. And the best workers are going to be going to different places. So we have a lot of great people going to great places and finding accommodations that they need for themselves. That's very true. I think that, that there's no right answer. Like you were talking about, there's a lot of different components that we have to consider. However, I don't think a lot of Companies. So, for example, the one company that I was talking about, it's a telecom company based in Seattle, very big company, global, world renowned. Um, I think it was like one of their chiefs of something. They said, you know, I expect everybody to be back in the office by this time. Now, to say that discounts the different points of views of single parents, yep. uh, people who have uh, kids with compromised immune systems, uh, people who take care of. So, and how old is he? I want to say over 60. Okay. I want to say, I don't know for sure. I didn't look at his driver's license the last time. (laughs) Well, I think it is. I think it isn't potentially an age thing, but as Craig and I have talked with a lot of guests, the bigger challenge is even folks who are younger leaders, they were led by some of those folks. So they only know one way of leading. And that model Mm. says the key is to have people in the office and we need that for communication and innovation and all these things. But that's an old story and it's no longer true. But if you still apply the way, I think that's one of the challenges we see is the leaders, it, it is really bold to do it differently because they've not seen this model before. They've not seen, very few people have seen this kind of leadership model because it's new. But I also think it's been around. Not, so yeah, have they been paying attention? Because been around I, don't, I don't agree at all. That's why I'm You don't think so? No, because here's my challenge. Go look at the MBA programs and find out when they even started talking about empathy and leadership. Like last year. I think we're missing the the crossing paths here because it's like we were talking about with Andrea Newton. She started her business 20 years ago, all remote. So it's been around for a while. But it's been but it's been the exception. It's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's been around. There's companies been doing it, but it's a tiny little slice of people. And were they doing it well? I mean, did they have remote companies with great culture or they just had a company that was made money? That's where I come in. Right. Let's let's get you great culture. Right. And so the difference. (laughs) 
So you said something that actually sparked my thought. So when I think about future leadership and like how we're going to craft this and make this new and exciting. Mm-hmm. So people who are in high school and even younger, they're now millionaires. They don't have to go to work. They don't have to show up for the, the boss who's mean, the boss who's like, oh, you need to do this and that. We're going to really have to have a paradigm and a mental shift and a mindset shift about the people we work with, which is why I think EI is more important than ever. When I say yeah. EI, I mean emotional intelligent behaviors and how we treat each other. Because if my YouTube channel, my, my book that I made when I was, I don't know, a high schooler is kicking out enough money for me to live, why do I need to show up to this stinking job? You know, And I'm not saying that's a great attitude, but it's a reality. So I think that we're really going to have to work on, you know, when millennials came in, they're like, oh, these millennials want everything. Well, we're just <laughs> so going to have we. to keep, <laughs> we're going to have to keep working on that mindset of, yeah. because the millennials now look easy. <laughs> <laughs> but we all wanted something. And, and I say that as an older millennial, I am, I am a millennial. But I think also it starts with tech because tech, you don't actually need to be in an office necessarily. Right. You can have people around the world who are working on something because yep. it works better timing wise because of business hours and everything. I also think, so like we run by these invisible rules and uh, <laughs> women are having less children. I know a lot of my friends don't want children or they maybe just have one. Whereas I came from a family of three, mm-hmm. uh, we want different things. So we're running by this old paradigm. Let's go back to the old paradigm, like you were saying of, well, a guy works in a company, he's married to a woman, she takes care of the kids. Man, I'm telling you guys, I need a wife. I need somebody (laughs) to help me raise my kids. I need somebody to make me dinner. I need somebody because I don't got time. I don't have time to do laundry. So we work to these invisible rules and the women got paid less because they were doing different things. But it's not the same. It's just not the same now. So we need to think differently and like kind of rip apart the assumptions that we were making. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Well, let's let's shift over to the emotional intelligence conversation because I know 
we talk about it a lot. It seems to be one of those hot topics. So first, let's, Diana, give us your definition. And I don't mean strict, but what's your concept of what actually is emotional intelligence? Mm, that's good. So emotional intelligence to me and how I would define it is really understanding your own emotions in the moment, being able to understand the other person's emotions and actor accurately reading them. So not projecting them, but accurately reading them so that you can create value and make good decisions in that moment. Okay. So if I'm feeling upset about something and you come to me in a state of panic, not upset, but of panic, am I emotionally intelligent to know, you know, what you're telling me is upsetting me, but I see this worries you instead of me coming to see you and seeing that you're attacking me. Hmm. So when I think of everything that has to do with emotions, I think of not good or bad, or how are we identifying with them? What role are they playing? And how can we create value in the situation? So it's, it's kind of a little bit of dance. I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, where's this person coming from? How can I best respond so that it carries us to a better place in our relationship? and get get whatever needs to be done done i would say because i'm puerto rican a merengue or a salsa or something <laughs> like that i like this it's a dance so there it's like it, it's like being in the moment and not it's having that other's awareness that social yeah. awareness beyond yourself but let's face it most people don't know their emotions because this is not something that we're necessarily taught as children yes. yeah and especially so, men especially men so it's like ah stop your crying but crying is important. It tells us something, Yeah, you know, it tells us that something is not right. Anger is an emotion. It's a socially acceptable emotion for men to be angry. It is not socially acceptable in this world for men to be crying. Right. So what's Hopefully that about? That's shifting. <laughs> yeah, it is shifting. It but, is shifting. Yeah, one of the organizations that Jeff's a part of has, has taught a lot of men. And I remember seeing slides of this is what sad looks like. This is what, I'm like, really? And, you know, Jeff would say, yeah, it's, we really need that help. <laughs> well, and I do a lot of men's work right now. And that's exactly, yeah. it's still hugely the case because it's a, remember, it's a cultural thing. It's yeah. systemic. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. in the water. And so a few people can be part of the change, but it, it takes a lot more different waters running through the system. So one thing I really loved about what you said, Diana, because I don't hear it all the time around emotional intelligence, is you talked about making decisions with that better awareness. Because yeah. mm -hmm. too often I see people in even organizations talking about emotional intelligence, like it's the awareness of things, and then you stop. So right. it's kind of like saying, you know what, I know that I'm a bully. Mm -hmm. And that's great that I know that now. Oh, I'm still a bully. I still act that way. But boy, I know that I'm a bully. <laughs> and I know exactly how I bully others. So I'm really emotionally intelligent. So it's going from EI to EA, emotional action. Yeah. And, I, and so I have to say the easy, I use several assessments when I work with somebody. But the easiest way I like to think of like emotional intelligence is understanding the communication energy that you're at. And some people might call it disc. Um, I think like when you understand, like, so you're talking about bullying, bullying, I mean, 
It's very serious. Don't get me wrong. But there are certain ways that people speak because their energy is direct. It's more mm-hmm. direct. And so they're, they're speaking to a different energy that comes off in a certain way. But if that person's speaking to another person who's speaking their language, it doesn't feel like bullying. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Let's just say I've had my share of bullies and toxic bosses. So I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, so part of it is we have to work on ourselves and speaking up for ourselves in our work. But also it's a part of, like you were saying, I am aware that I'm speaking like this, but how am I modifying it? So if yeah. Diana speaks French, how, and, and Jeff speaks, um, I don't know, Greek, how is Diana trying to speak Greek? Mm-hmm. So at least mm-hmm. he feels like he's being heard. You know, that's really where the give and take is. Comes back to hand gestures, right? <laughs> that's how I talk. It's all about the hand gestures. <laughs> So Diana, what are you finding in terms of, I mean, certainly the companies that work with you are bringing you in to help them get better, but more, I guess on a more broader basis, what are you seeing from companies in terms of their buying into the value of growing the emotional intelligence of their team and their leaders? So this question is as wide as it is deep. And I think that it starts with, the key word today, the um, key word of empathy. So everybody is like, we need more empathy. We need more empathy. Uh, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Well, it looks and feels differently to everyone. And so if you're a business struggling, who's having, can't keep people. So we're talking about the great resignation, the great resignation where people are leaving their jobs that are perfectly fine, but they're not feeling heard. Right. No. So we can't keep people. And now we're having, um, I don't know how to say it any clearer, people talking in a way that is just so condescending or demeaning. And so now people are saying, oh, we need more empathy for our leaders. So it starts there, in my opinion. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. And I think that's how they're starting to see it. Um, You can see it with DEI initiatives that aren't taking. It's because you before you do the hard work of DEI and looking at your own heart and your racism that you have in you and the sexism and the, all the isms that you have in you, you really need to be emotionally aware. If you're cut off from your emotions, and Jeff, you know this from the work you do, if you're cut off from your emotions, you're cut off from a valuable tool that is telling you something. Totally. And Craig, I don't know if you do that work, but I feel like you might. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. so like I've been married for 33 years. I've I've learned a few things <laughs> along the way. <laughs> Emotions are the first part of the decision making process. Yeah. So everybody goes, oh, they're so emotional. And I'm thinking, what are you a cyborg? You're emotional too. You're just showing up in a different way. So like you have everything runs through your emotion filter before you make yeah. a decision, an action, or a behavior. And I That's feel like I could talk about this all week. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I'm running a course right now for men on how about the toxic myths, basically about manhood. And we've been watching some videos and, and one of the people in there, a doctor was saying, you know, the research shows that when we're young, like babies, uh, boys are actually more outwardly expressive of their emotion than girls mm-hmm. as young babies, like under two. And then, then when they get into like a little older and even into adulthood, 
the, the, the biometric research, I think it's biometric, says the emotional reactions are the same. They're virtually the same between genders, but mm -hmm. the expression is completely different. So those emotions are happening, but the men are stuffing them down or mm. redirecting them into those socially acceptable emotions like anger. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really, it's fascinating that the emotions are there, as you said, we're emotional beings, mm. but they're having emotions is what are they doing with them? And I, I, I my yeah. follow-up question, Diana, is this, uh, one of the things we talk about here is impact and impact awareness which I put in the bucket of emotional awareness in that being aware and being willing to hear the impact of the things I say and do and how I do them, even if I didn't intend it. And I was thinking about this last weekend, I was working with a client in a team session and one of the salespeople said this. Uh -oh. He said, you know, none of you understand because my pain is unique to me. And if I don't sell, I don't pay for my mortgage and I don't pe put food on the table. And I heard him say that and I went, oh boy. Because what I believe is he never thought about the impact. I get how he feels that way, but how mm -hmm. that might land with everybody else with he's saying, I'm unique from all of you. And so where is that, that impact awareness in the, in the, framework of emotional intelligence, or is it? So there are a couple of things, before I answer that question, there are a couple of things that come up for me when somebody says that. Number one, they're in survival. Mm -hmm. If you're in survival, you are not worried about other people. You're just not, because you're Good thinking, point. how am I gonna, how am I gonna make dinner, uh, make ends meet mm -hmm. or dinner, but ends <laughs> meet, right? <laughs> I'm gonna pay rent, how am I gonna? So like when you're in survival, expecting somebody to be selfless is foolish. Yes. So that's number one. Number two, salespeople, the reason obviously a lot of salespeople are good at what they do is because they are task oriented and they are the way they are. And that's good for the role. They're like uh, hunters, you know, hunters, they go out, they kill, they eat. So that's a part of it. And, and then point operated. Yeah, kind of. I mean, evolved salespeople have that element of people, right? Yeah. So they're not just like the best, but dude. they they're bet they're built like that for that role. Um, and then another thing that comes into that, as you're saying, so like as we're talking about layers, is ego. Mm -hmm. In sales, it's very acceptable to have an ego and be like, oh, I sold this much because that's how they get rewarded. So like that's kind of baked into that system. Yeah. So when you think about like peeling away that sort of, and then obviously there's another level in there from my Buddhist self, which says suffering, this person is suffering in some way, right? So when we're suffering, we cry out in different ways. Sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it's painful to ourselves and that. So that's kind of like the layered sandwich that I see, but his communication energy, he has to realize, and this is a part, the first step in EI is awareness. And without that first step, you can't get that impact step. Does that make sense? So like, if you don't know how your behavior is hitting other people and you're not getting feedback, timely feedback, then you don't truly have a full understanding of how your behavior hit other people. 
And so I would see that impact as a part of the growth process in emotional intelligence. So number one, a person says, hmm, let me reflect on what happened there. And then through coaching, and this is where I see the strength of coaching. How do you think that Bill at home who has a child in the hospital might have received that message? How do you think that Mary, a single mother trying to go through school would receive? So then you go, oh, I never thought of that. So then you can understand the impact once you get that feedback, which is valuable, and you open up your mind through coaching. But you have to be coachable. It seems like that that then can become overwhelming to people just thinking, wow, I have to keep all these things in mind. But what it really comes down to is, do I care about the people around me? Yes and no. No? Okay. Yes and no. So people-centered people, like the type of communication energies that care about people, mm-hmm. yeah, they will think like, how did that, did that hurt his feeling or does that? So yes, probably usually more women think like that. Mm-hmm. Because they, if they are raising children or they have that mindset, that's a cultural thing we, we like in women. So sure. we and reinforce women that. Are emotionally based. I don't know if that's a real statistic, but I'll yeah. go with so it. So Myers-Briggs, two-thirds <laughs> of women are, are E, two-thirds of men oh. are T, thinking. Okay. Thank you. So that's good. Thinking I didn't know that. feeling. Excuse me. <laughs> So I think that's like a thing that we like in women that we see, we want yeah. mothers to be nurturing. So we reward that behavior. Um, I don't think that it's hard for them once they have, I mean, if you have a really good coaching program and you have the time and space to reflect on your behavior, mm-hmm. I think I've seen in the short amount of time, people changing. So they don't have to think, how does that help them? How does that, they just change their inner identity and behavior and that changes everything. Well, let me ask kind of a chicken and the egg question there, because earlier you said what needed to come first, the awareness needed to come ahead of the impact. And I agree with that. The however for me is where does my care and concern of some level about the impact? Because if I don't care about the impact, then I'm not, why am I ever going to get to the impact level if I don't not willing to say, you know, I actually care how this impacts. So like that person, if I said to them, um, how do you think that impacted the people around the table? And they say, I don't care. Mm. Well, until they're willing to care or something happens, and it is it, I guess my question is, Diana, when you're in the company, and Craig, we've seen this in a lot of discussions, you know, the question of what's the, is it a business case or is it do the right thing case (laughs) driving the change? I guess that's really what I'm getting at. So if, if I'm honest, what I'm hearing you say is that the culture, if he, if this person said, I don't, I don't care what they, and the culture is okay with that, then there's no accountability. Yeah. So it's a, for me, it comes down to a culture thing, but he will care when they're like, you know what, George, Bill, Jamal, whatever your name is, that's not tolerated here. So if right. you don't care about the people around you and we don't work on that, then there's no consequence. So oh, if there is no consequence for you not caring, you're fine because you're we're with good company. But then you create that sort of environment 
where everybody's expendable, you get a lot more burnout, you can create toxicity, you have more lawsuits, you have, you know, like, so if you're fine with that environment, it's, in my opinion, not great, but some people would be okay with that. I'm just thinking people who, who actually value themselves, if, if they hear somebody say that and it's not addressed, I'd be like, okay, where's the door? <laughs> you know, where, where's if your boss, yeah, yeah. If your boss doesn't say that's a concerning statement, but how long has he been there and how long has he been saying that is the question. When I think that, you know, what I've seen is, and I agree, I agree with you, Diana. And the end is that unless you're asking those questions and paying attention to that at some leadership level, mm-hmm. you may not actually know whether they care about the impact because they never got asked the question because people aren't thinking. I, I have found it's interesting. Most of the time when we start having a conversation about impact, it's new to people. It's yeah. new. Like, what do you mean impact? We want to have an impact. No, no. Are you thinking about the impact of what you do, how you do it, when you do it, what you say, how you say it? Do you actually think about that? Do you ask your people questions about that? And it's not the norm. Well, it's, it comes back to one of the questions that you ask in the self-accountability side, Jeff, which, which gets to what their real underlying thinking is. Well, yeah. What's the impact? on everybody else by what you did or didn't do. But it, it hits them. It matters when it affects them typically financially. Right. So that's when you start to see people care and be like, Oh, I guess I have to, or like if they're on a PIP, like a performance improvement plan or something like that's when it matters to them. Or when somebody calls it out, that's when it matters to them. Uh, If you have a new boss, who's like, I'm not putting up with that. That's when it matters to them. But if it's in the culture and it's not addressed, then it's a part of the culture. Oh, yeah. And and that's the and that's scary for people who like say for example, okay, not scary, but disheartening. So I have a client who's in a big. um, He's he he's in tech. Let's just say. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. He's in finance, not in tech. He's in finance in a big global company. And the, and I've been in finance, so I know this firsthand. I've been in several companies. The go-to is alpha male. Like that is a go-to culture. He's not okay with that. He's like, I don't want to be like my bosses. They call them, they're calling people idiots and they're doing things like that. And that's acceptable because they don't get, they're kind of loose cannons and they don't get, um, there's no accountability there. And he's like, but I don't want to be that. And I don't know, I want to get promoted, but I don't know how to be any other way. I want to be real with myself. I don't want to lose myself, but I don't know how to be rewarded in a system that is only rewards alpha male behavior. So that's what I've been working with him on. And he's finding new ways and he's finding new models. It takes a lot of courage for sure. But that's, you know, people aren't putting up with it anymore. Yeah. It also requires that external help, like the coaching that you're doing, because we can't see all those things ourselves. And what, and honestly, if we're going to be like completely candid, what man in this day and age is going to go into that world and be like, I don't like this toxic male. Is that going to be culturally acceptable? Probably not. 
So it's taking him a lot of courage, I think, to be like, you know, I don't find this acceptable, putting people down constantly. And so. Well, and I think there's, you know, talk, we've talked so often already about paradigm shifts <laughs> and shifts in the workplace. And I wish I could remember right now, recently I was listening to a book in the last four weeks and they were talking about that we even have a misunderstanding of the concept of the alpha male because Ooh. that comes from nature. It comes from nature. That's where the term comes from. And in nature, there are alpha males and females. Mm -hmm. And typically and often they are not the biggest, strongest, aggressive at all. They're the most self-confident is the way it was <laughs> described and comfortable with themselves. And they've just got, I'm going to even call it like sort of this grounded presence where the pack will follow them. They, they can bring it on when they need to, but we have this belief that that's what it is. The alpha, the alpha is male and it's about aggressiveness, it's about push, push, push. It's about hard edge. It's about getting shit done. And partying and hard partying when you're hard. not getting shit done. <laughs> no, right. Like just like I worked in the Wolf of Wall Street sort of scenario. Oh gosh. So I, I can see that is rewarded and that's a hard environment. It's a hard environment. Well, to that point, I, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the phrases that really just uh -oh. now I hear it and go, oh, really? People are still bragging today about their culture that says we work hard and play hard. I'm really curious your view of that, Diana, especially in the context of how it also relates to emotional intelligence. That's good because I've never thought about that. Um, okay, so depending on how one defines play hard, I think. Popular memes would say, why are we, why are we glamorizing working hard? Yeah. Like, why are we glamorizing that we're killing ourselves to work? Uh, that's what popular memes would say. I think we're doing a, a shift. I think there's a massive paradigm shift. I run my own business and I also do that so that I can spend time with my kids and have a life where I am not tied to an, like a nine to five. Um, yeah. And that's my choice, but that doesn't mean I work less. <laughs> like I still right. work. I work a we, lot. We understand. <laughs> so, but it means that like when I need to go to a dentist appointment, I don't feel bad about taking the time off. So right. we're making a huge shift because we're realizing what worked in the old world with the old rules and the old roles doesn't work now. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I would go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say, as we're set, sitting here, I had this thought. I've never had it before. That uh -oh. phrase was never actually true. It wasn't work hard, play hard. It was work hard, long play hard, short because they were not playing as much as they were working. But what is play hard? I mean, is it, is it, okay, I'm going to go bungee jumping. I'm going to go, oh, drinking. It's all, yeah, it's all yeah. about Strip clubs, it's, it's not drinking. Resting. We're oh, going to do something okay. fun. We're going to do yeah, something you really fun. Did. We're going to work seven, <laughs> we're going to work 80 hours a week. I really did every that. Friday, we're going to go for two hours and man, we're going to live it up. Whatever that is. You but live for the weekend. out of 80. Yeah. But at what point is there, 
we, we work hard and we rest hard, (laughs) you know, I like that one. I rest hard. How about we let everybody else work hard and we work better and smarter and we achieve more faster. (laughs) There you go. And and the thing is, (laughs) we got a new meme. The world, the world, the way it is right now allows us to do that. If we choose to craft our businesses that way, Mm -hmm. there are ways that we don't have to kill ourselves to work and, and make good money at it. I know a few of my um, clients, they used to work at Google and they, not because necessarily, I don't think Google made them do it, but they worked really hard, Mm -hmm. like really long hours, like 14 or more hour days. And that effect has lasted on them over a decade. Like that burnout is so deep that they still don't feel rested, even though they've they don't wow. work there anymore. Hmm. So that's a thing we need to deal with. I think that we're going to see more mental health problems, not because of the world is bad or this or that. It's that because we're not expressing our emotions in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Did your mom ever say to you, you can be angry, but do it in a way that's healthy. Let me show you how. <laughs> I say that to my kids and I'm not that joking you. But wouldn't that be brilliant if yes. you're sick? I say to my daughter, you can absolutely be angry. It's important to be angry, but you have to do it in a way that doesn't hurt you and doesn't hurt somebody else. Wow. So what is that going to look like? And so my daughter, she goes to five. She's like, I really need to work on my anger issues. And, I, and I'm like, you know, so do I. So we can work on it together. Because That's the truth awesome. is, I don't even know what that looks like necessarily. Oh, my gosh. I love this, Diana. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like because sometimes I want to cut a bitch. I'm not kidding. I'm like, I'm a real person. People still do stuff to me and I'm just like, but it's not valuable. And that's where we're headed. That's my belief where we're headed. My daughter said to my to her, my mom, her grandma, she goes, uh, my grandma, my mom started cleaning up everything. And she goes, mom or grandma, if you don't let me clean this up, how am I ever going to learn how to do it for myself? Wow. I'm like, I'm like who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I tell her. So these are the things she's replaying. Cause I'm like, you know, if I do this work for you, you're not going to learn how to do it. So when I die, you're going to be really stuck. I don't want that. We talk a lot about death. <laughs> wow. <I laughs> In mean, a healthy way. Makes me think, wow. If I, if I could go back and restart the, the, child rearing again there was so much more that i could put in there but you can <laughs> you can that's why you I get grandkids i don't want to start again <laughs> but maybe grandchildren <laughs> my niece and nephew yeah there yeah nieces and nephews that good place to start yeah so i have four year olds you've talked we've talked a lot about emotional intelligence but we haven't talked about it a lot in the context of the unique differences of remote. We -hmm. started down that road. Can you talk a little bit about some of the unique elements of emotional intelligence when it comes to remote workers, remote leadership? Oh, so the difference I think is learning a new way. So it's not that we don't have it in us. So it's not that we can't create, it's thinking about it in a different paradigm. So it's not like I'm think that I think, oh, well, now that you're a remote leader, you need these completely different set of tools. 
No. I think now we need to think more intentionally. Mm. We need to think more like we were talking about impact. How how other people receive and perceive their messages that they're getting. We also need to think about like nobody else wants to do another Zoom. So you can't be like, oh, I'll just call them up and see how they're doing. So we need to be even be more intentional. So previously, you could say when you go to work with somebody and you your whole team is with you, you could say, let's just do one-on-one. We'll go to coffees and this and that. Now people are Zoomed out. By the end of the day, they're like, I have no more meeting bandwidth. That, uh, that in itself, a person, if they're thinking in the old paradigm, they're like, well, how am I going to, I just have to book more meeting time, but it's not like that. You have to be more intentional, intentional, intentional about how you're thinking about interacting with people. And I think that's the disconnect. I think sometimes it's just as simple as just sending a, an email or a text, just saying, how are you? If they respond in a way that makes you feel like you, they need some time, then make the time. I also think that's a way certain people. Okay. Because if you ask me, how are you, Diana? I'll tell you the whole gambit uh-huh. from morning to night. Some people don't communicate like that. So I think that's really where the emotional intelligence comes in. Okay. It's having the Great intelligence point. to understand, you know, um, this person needs to be talked to like this and this sure. works for them. So I'm going to speak French when I speak to them. Mm-hmm. And now when I speak to Craig, I know this works for him. Right. And getting that feedback. And we're talking about impact. Jeff was talking about impact. So the feedback. So there's this thing like give people appreciation. Some people don't like that in public. Like that mm-hmm. really... Right goes against who they are or what they are. Not that they don't appreciate appreciation, but it's the how, right? Right. So when you're, I feel when you're exhibiting emotionally intelligent behaviors, you're not running your communication based on how you want it. Mm -hmm. You're running your communication based on how this person needs it. And then you're getting feedback. So that's really what the difference is between remote leadership, being even more intentional, intentional and getting the feedback of how you're creating those relationships. It's about, like I say, emotional bandwidth. That's not a medical term, <laughs> but, but I feel like we, between frustration, between life yeah. happening and things happening, uh, tech going out, like Zoom meetings or back-to-back right. things, we only have so much emotional bandwidth that we need to be working on that emotional stamina to be able to ask, hey, how are you doing? And actually want to hear the answer right. if the person wants to talk about it. Well, I don't think and, you should ask that question if you're not willing to listen. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but know, people do. But if we're thinking right. about the emotional bank account, do you think it's, it's healthy then for leaders to say, you know what, we're going to have an hour of no meetings, let you recharge, you know, you, you do you and have that time. What, what's the what would be a good way to do something like that so that we can say, you know what, I appreciate you. I'm looking out for your self, you know, for you and mm-hmm. give you some time for self-care. I actually really like that they gave people time off. And, and like, this is just from me thinking about from my own point of view, I thought, wow, that's really progressive. The, the thing that we also have to think about is that if people are burned out, 
They may not be doing stuff in that hour or in that day to be recuperating properly. So um, I'm working with somebody who really has extreme burnout, but they're working really long hours. So then we have to think, well, how is this culture rewarding people? If you're working long hours and that's the way to get rewarded, you know, so it's, it's quite a complex thing. And I think personally, I think coaching is so valuable. Totally. I think the, the amount of like, if you think about a plant dying with no water to being completely restored to health and flourishing, I think that's what coaching does. Like it takes a person who maybe they're not dying or languishing, but it helps them like grow and thrive in ways that they didn't expect. I kind of find it difficult to articulate, but I've seen that um, if they get the right type of coaching and yeah. sometimes people need therapy to complement that coaching too. So that's a thing. That's yeah. Very good point. Mm-hmm. The reality that some real fundamental paradigms, if I'm willing to be open, yeah, that the way I've always done it, it doesn't mean it's the right way. And to your point, Diana, what I love, and I think it's the challenge and the opportunity to realize that everybody's different. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. really being empathetic means looking at everyone and seeking as best you can to understand them, how they communicate, how, where they're at, and then take it, make it about them, not me. When I can do that, and when we can do that, man, we can build trust, we can build those relationships, and we can create that culture of safety that we yeah. talk about regularly here. So. Diana, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing, uh, I'm not going to label it, but bringing your edge. And your Ooh, willingness, I like this. Your willingness to bang around edge. here. Yeah, we're not, we're just banging into each other. Here. I love <laughs> yeah. it. Like a pinball machine. Exactly. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Thank you for inviting me. merengue. <laughs> Ooh, salsa, merengue. We can dance. I'm okay about it. That's right. So Diana, we always ask our guests, is there anything in particular you want to highlight or promote for our listeners? I think the the most helpful thing I have seen for people who are in a state of, uh, I have, for example, an executive team or maybe one person who I don't know what to do with their behavior. Actually, I think the best thing to do is to let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what their difficulties, how, how they're translating at work and what they really need. Because the truth of the matter is we need to keep the good people we have. And just because they have difficult or bad behaviors, we're not sure what to do with doesn't mean it's unfixable. I've seen some amazing miracles happen when people have self-awareness, but, and most people I think are willing to get that self-awareness. So I'm happy for any of your listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn I will have on my website soon that's um, going to be produced in a couple of weeks, uh, a link to book a call with me and let's talk about your situation and let's see what is the right step. Because if I am not able to help you, I've got a lot of resources. So Great. That's very generous. Yeah. Well, and Thank you, you answered the second question already about reaching out to you. So we're yeah. going to just wrap up with a single question here at the end. And what we're going to go with is. Uh-oh. Diana, you get to have dinner with someone living. Who do you want to have dinner with? And what's the one question you will make sure to ask them? My dinner would be with Daisaku Ikeda, 
Daisaku Ikeda is the president of the Sokagakai International. He is 92 years old. He shared and um, disseminated, I don't know is the right word, but shared Buddhism around the world. He went to many countries. He faced a lot of opposition. So my question would be to him in his old age, what would be the wisdom that he could share with me to ensure that like him, I never give up. Definitely a new one. <laughs> but that's great. Thank you, Diana. And thanks for, thank you for bringing it all today and just being all in. But more importantly, thanks for the work you're doing in the world. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.